Hello and welcome to the War in Our Stars. I'm uh, Dianoga Leader. Oh Nora. right, we have a whole bit. We have a gimmick. There's a. I have a bit. You have a gimmick. Where is Where is my Google Doc with all of the podcast information on it? You know what a great time to open this document would have been? <laughs> Before you said the first five words of the podcast out loud. You know, it would also be great is to shut up. <laughs> I'm enjoying how many uh, things in this folder are just labeled untitled document. Untitled document. Yeah, it's because I use it on my phone. I'm Jackson. Hello. Hello. You are Dianoga 3? Is that right? I'm probably Dianoga so. 1 because I was on the first episode, right? You weren't. Yeah, I was. Olivia was on the first episode. Olivia yeah. was on the first episode. Which means that I didn't show up till Thrawn. You didn't show up till Thrawn. But we had Olivia. And then for Wedgie Gambo, we had Jackson. So Jackson is Dianoga 2. And then there was Graceford is Dianoga 3. Unless is Dianoga leader, Dianoga 1. Yeah, that's uh, I thought it went leader and then two. I didn't realize. So here's a question about. Let's look at red <laughs> leader <laughs> Star Wars. Is there also I, a red one? I believe red one is red leader because red zero, like Rogue Zero, is Tycho Selchu. Yes, red yes. red leader is red one. So so yes. Olivia is is Dianoga two. Yes. Jackson is Dianoga three. So it's right the first time. Four. Yeah, you're Dianoga five. Yes, the one who was wrong was Autumn. Her. Uh, Nyanoga 5 reporting in (laughs) What? Uh, I thought you said 9 over 5 No No. Speaking of which, we need to look up Which uh, Rogue Squadron member uh, Showed up in this book It's Rogue 3 who do we think? Do you think it was Noir Ven? I think that's. Who I it think was. it would be Noir Ven. I believe so. Anyway, hello, welcome to the podcast. Oh. High <laughs> energy openings here. <laughs> Holy shit! We uh, read the second book in the Thrawn trilogy, Dark Horse Rising, and I really liked this book. Eh. It was a good book. I mean, it's it's nothing. So. I I don't feel like it's nothing, yep. but I feel like it was just watching a bunch of ants scurry around, moving <laughs> things from place to place. If you think about it, the same can be said of all novels. <laughs> <laughs> Should we summarize this novel? Yeah, who wants to do the not me. Not me. summary? Not me. Not me. Not, not me. me. Not me. <laughs> I can't fucking do it. Shreddy can. I said not me first. Autumn should take because you did it so good on the Dead Rap <laughs> Chest one. I was crying laughing <laughs> when you were like, um, semicolon, uh, Jack is killed by the Kraken. <laughs> that was, that was the no, they didn't say the semicolon. <laughs> it was implied. It was it implied. It wasn't implied. You have to say semicolon. <laughs> Fine, I'll fall flat on my face trying to summarize this novel. No, no, it's okay. I'll do it. Okay, thank you. You are the host of the podcast. But I never do the summary. That's the secret okay. of hosting this podcast. Is that I always have the guests do the summary. <laughs> <laughs> so... <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I can do five sentences. If you want me to try to do five sentences, I can. Uh, let me see. 
<laughs> the skirmishes between the Imperial Remnant and the Republic continue as they were in the previous book, with now the focus being on the hunt for the mythical Katana fleet, uh, as referenced every single chapter <laughs> of Rogue Squadron. <laughs> yeah. There are multiple characters with leads on the Katana fleet's location, and it becomes a game of whether the Empire will bribe a guy faster than Talon Card will give up willingly the location of the Katana fleet. In internal politics are still happening, kind of, in the, um, in the Republic, with Borsk Falia making many very obvious attempts to get as much power and prestige as possible, which uh, causes no end of strife for the New Republic. That is three sentences. Mm -hmm. Yes. Meanwhile, Jeruus Sabaoth tries to teach Luke Skywalker <laughs> how to be hardcore, but Luke is too uh, straight-edged to go for it, and as soon as he gets one excuse to uh, leave the planet, he does so with Mara Jade, and the two of them continue to develop their uh, relationship, I guess. Did you put? I assumed you were doing finger quotes around relationships. Yes. 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 <laughs> In the end, um, despite some progress being made uh, with the Nogri people. The Republic takes the L in this book as Thrawn gets most of the Katana fleet off screen. That is really funny. That's the end of the book. That's true. That is basically how it goes. <laughs> uh, it just I, it doesn't end. It stops. I, yeah, it ends. These three that last chapter is like three pages long. I I feel like they put a little capstone on it. Star Wars books don't end. This is the last book didn't end. This one didn't end. Um, I feel like this one did a better job of ending than the last one. That's you true. Because yeah, you know what? Fair enough. You're just really into this book, and I don't know why. Okay. Uh, so I have like two readings on this book that I, both of <laughs> which I really enjoyed. I mean, so so one like I'm into this book because I was like, oh, Star Wars is happening. Like, oh, he just like put all the characters I like in, like, a difficult situation, and sure, you introduced way too many characters, like, your summary didn't touch on, um... You know who else's summary didn't touch on? Senator Garm Bellibliss. Wikipedia. Yeah. Or anything happening with the Nogri, or... I'd set it Ni Niles Ferrier, the guy that they can smell oh, anytime he's in a scene. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to tell Jackson... How Farrier is um, represented in the audiobook. Oh, God. Uh, oh, he talks like this all the time. Yeah, he does do that. He does do that. He's doing one of these voices. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know he's like a scoundrel. He's a wrestler. <laughs> he is that. If that doesn't come across in, in the book, thank Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I thought this book... <clears throat> Mostly just does an interesting 
does a good job of like putting the three main characters I like in perilous situations. You know, which of the four main characters do you like, and which is the one that you don't like? Oh, I guess I like the four main characters, I guess. <laughs> I just think of, like, Luke, Han, and Leia as, like, the three. Even though Lando is in a lot of this book. And it's just, like, graduates to, like, one of the trio in this book. This is the why thing that, Lando the... comes back in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I think the thing that Nora is alluding to here is that Han Solo has nothing to do in any of these books. They have to invent dads for him to have feelings about so he can still be around. That is by far the worst part of this book, is we gave Han Solo a fake parasocial dad. Uh, The single funniest line in almost anything Star Wars history is when I need to actually find the line. I need to find the line. Uh, I know exactly the line you're going. I'm going to set this up. So, Senator Garm Bell Iblis, who you may remember as the cowboy-looking motherfucker from The Force Unleashed when they start the Rebel Alliance, is... Uh, Wait, they called dead. that guy Bell Iblis mm-hmm. in the because mm-hmm. he's new here. Like he was only in EU before. Yes. <gasps> Fucking nerds, those nerds. <laughs> he got called up. The the original Rebel Alliance Council, I believe, is Mon Mothma, Bail Organa, Leia, Bell Iblis, and Starkiller. It is funny that there's Bail Organa and also his teenage daughter. Yes. <laughs> it is funny when this book mentions the like uh, the original meeting being with Bell Iblis, Bail Organa, uh, and Mamothbe. It doesn't mention uh, Starkiller was also there. No, that's classified. That is classified <laughs> Nobody can mention because uh, Starkiller, he's a big secret. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was around in this book. I have the line. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say. Bell Iblis. He's a former senator from Corellia, presumed dead, founding member of the Alliance. Uh, broke away over disagreements with Mon Mothma. This, I don't remember what those disagreements were. Felt that she was grabbing too much power for herself. Right. She was being way too girl boss, basically, is kind of the yes. situation here. Yes. Uh, Mon Mothma's too girl boss for Bell Iblis. Bell Iblis is like, this is starting to turn into sort of a a girl Kaiser situation. I'm not. Also, also separately, and I think this is going to be in the line that Jackson's about to give us. Um, he just like one time went to Han Solo's school and thought Han Solo had a lot of gumption, and so it's just been like keeping tabs on him the whole it... time, yeah. his entire life. <laughs> I didn't really expect you to remember. You were 11 at the time. Han blinked. Eleven? He echoed you mean in school? Uh, correct, Bellibus nodded. Literally correct, in fact. It was a convocation at your school. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, here we go. As I said, I don't expect you to remember, Bellibus said. I, on the other hand, remember the incident quite well. During the question period after the talk, you asked two irreverently phrased yet highly pointed questions. The first regarding the ethics of anti-alien bias starting to creep into the legal structure of the Republic. <laughs> And the second about some very specific instances of corruption involving my colleagues in the Senate. Eleven-year-old Han Solo. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the line from earlier in this scene where Bell Iblis is one of the few people to earn us an automatic sir from Han Solo. <laughs> That is also funny, but I I just, this uh, entire book, all I could think of is the image of 11-year-old Han Solo, who was almost, but not quite, in Revenge of the Sith. 
putting his hand up in, putting his hand up in class to be like sir 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 what do you think about the anti-alien bias in the legal structure of the republic Han Solo sitting in his classroom age 11 thinking so this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause and then like if this- Han Solo had a dad he would post Things about like my eleven-year-old son just said something so profound, <laughs> and then like this guy who get, I don't know the names of any senators, but it's basically you know whatever uh, famous, powerful Democratic senator that has stood for a long time. But I don't know who that is because I don't. No one likes them and they don't exist. Because uh, I only think of Republican Joe guys. Biden, Joe, I guess it's like Joe Biden <laughs> if he didn't become president. Uh, and Joe Biden, with who hasn't become president, <laughs> thought this eleven-year-old knows what's up because he asked me a question uh, in the question segment. <laughs> I have to keep tabs on him his entire life. Did he ever think, damn, this eleven-year-old I was thinking about at school has just blown up the Death Star like <laughs> <laughs> twice? <laughs> damn, no. he did it again. He didn't do either of those. Oh come Actually, on! He was on the mission. He he, he okay. helped he, out with both. He he ran support for both. Wedge Antilles in Rogue Squadron has two Death Stars painted on his wings. If Wedge Antilles gets the kill for that first one, then so does Han Solo. Wedge Antilles does actually get no. Didn't he pull out before Lando pulls he out? Gets, he actually gets the kill. <laughs> He actually gets the kill on the second one, okay. but the first one, he was just on the mission, and he Does, was a crucial part I of the mission. I thought Lando got the kill. You might be right. It might be that Lando I, gets I the kill. I think someone pulls out in the second one and is like, you have to go it alone or whatever, or is that in the, in the first one as well? Anyway. Well, that's, the fir- that's the first one, because Luke says, you're not going to do any good back there, and also right. Wedge reminisces about it constantly in Rogue Squadron. Because right, that's anyway. the reason Wedge doesn't die. If... If Wedge gets to put a Death Star on his wings, I think that Han Solo also uh, only gets one, I guess. Because I guess he just wasn't there for the second one. But he was yeah. on the ground. Yeah. He was doing other stuff. Everything yeah. he about- He put the satellite dish on his ship. <laughs> <laughs> Two skulls. God. So, it is so funny looking back on Rogue Squadron, right? Yes. Because Rogue Squadron- crime is a book that non-stop is like constantly referencing the original series and just like every single uh-huh. thing is the most important thing from the original series ever uh like beyond these books which also do that but then rogue squad is also doing this to every plot point <laughs> and character from these books it's so funny <laughs> there's no iblis yet as far as we got in rogue squad well he I has been hiding away oh because that's before that's before thrawn yeah <clears throat> yeah okay. it's from before thrawn but it's like Quote unquote, it's like setting up everything in Thrawn, but mostly it's like, wow, those Thrawn books are so cool. The Katana Fleet, I'd bet you a map to the Katana Fleet, and blah blah blah. No yeah. one mentioned the Katana Fleet really in the last book. It wasn't. It it just shows up now, and everyone knows about it. Lando's like, I spent like two months researching the Katana Fleet once, and I'm like, when did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> He has ADHD, it's fine. With his robot girlfriend, he Wikipedia holds the Katana fleet for a while. Also, it's really funny that when they do find the Katana fleet, um, Lando is like, oh my god, blue and gold trim. That was only ever on one ship in the history of the galaxy. (laughs) I mean, how many people have dreadnoughts? 
I guess that's fair. I don't know. I, okay, I so I want to get into like why I liked this book in yes. general in a moment, but I, I do. What was Bell Iblis's like plot purpose? Because he shows up and he has one or two ships from the Katana fleet or something. I I couldn't remember this part, and it was very unclear to me, and also didn't matter. I don't think he's extra forces for the rebellion to even the odds against the Empire, it's and more- to have a big her- heroic moment at the end. Mm-hmm. It's more than that. Like, Bell Iblis exists because they didn't know what to do. They couldn't make Leia's plot good, right? Um, yeah. Because uh, Leia's going on some very funny and stupid democracy mission that's like an episode of Star Trek, but really, really bad. Oh, it's uh, so bad. Uh, every time she's... But, like, which leaves all the Thrawn stuff. Like, like last book, like Thrawn doesn't have, like, an antagonist in the alliance and so they, they show it to Belliblis and then Han's like you don't understand he was better a strategist than all of the admirals combined think how we could stand up to a grand admiral with him so he's basically been turned into like resource points <laughs> well and also he is a senator so that was like unclear to me I had to like go back and reread something because I was like he's a senator why is he like a such a good tactician and the answer is because... he just is he just is well, he's a cowboy yeah, well, he's a cowboy. This um, whole book leans on like the idea of tactics being, I mean, being an innate thing, which obviously yes. f- fields into like Thrawn's whole art science thing, which is <clears throat> obviously hilarious. We but talked about last time about Thrawn's tactics aura. Mm-hmm. But there's bits in this book where like other characters like i'm fairly sure bell is like when you're talking about fell is like no fell is not like like doing a coup uh because bothan's brains aren't built that way and i'm like bro this is more <laughs> eugenic shit like you yes. than, than thrawn does it's so bad it's so bad so like the thing about Star Wars, at least when this book was coming out, I think the prequels changed this a bit, but I think in the original trilogy, like, Star Wars is not science fiction, and when it tries to be, it's bad at it. Because it's, like, mostly just, like, fantasy in space. It is just about, like, space wizards, and they're, like, you know, the goings-on of powerful people and the adventurers. And the thing that's fun about this book to me is that all the antagonistic forces um Thrawn Borskvalia um like everybody like that who is like an antagonist in this book is sort of the intrusion of science fiction on the like heroes of space basically (laughs) because they're all like trying to think about like economics and politics and tactics and stuff and they are like like, they're a problem because they stop Han Solo from doing his space adventures, basically. <laughs> and they're a problem because they stop Luke Skywalker from being the cool Jedi guy. It, it's really strange. It has a very weird energy, right? Because um, <laughs> they can't pull on any politics from the movies because there aren't any. <laughs> there is, there, there, it doesn't exist. So they have to invent them but in a way that makes it seem like it's always been there so they can't really like build an interesting politics out of it in a way like the prequels actually get around this by like it's it's america we made america we just did it we made Mm -hmm. america and we're talking about george bush in the movie um yes uh, but this is like it starts talking about how there's this lines where bellables is like well uh in the early days of the empire 
um, Bell Iblis was like hoping that Han Solo would go into the uh, like academy because he didn't go to the academy, and that's like a Han Solo plot point. Uh, mm. He was hoping he did because a strong like academy level like uh, I forget that basically like a strong infantry in the army would be a good bulwark against like imperial control and they'd stand up to the bad orders and i'm like right where where, what what are you what about (laughs) it's so stupid (laughs) and then like leia's whole plot is about how like the rebel alliance and the empire if you think about it did war to the galaxy and the war just made bad things happen. And don't we bear some of the blame too for war? And I'm like, the rebel. No, just kidding. Just all- kidding. It wasn't us. <laughs> right. And then, and then also, the solution is that wasn't how actually that was never a problem in the first place. So, like, the, the question it raises is stupid. And the fact that it gives that answer is even more uh-huh. stupid. Yeah. Um- <laughs> so good. It's the way that this book conceives of the Clone Wars is really funny. Uh huh. Because, mm-hmm. of course, there's nothing to go on. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's just like, the idea that there were Jedi involved in it at all is just completely absent. Yeah, For starters. Even without talking about the ways that the ships are different and stuff. But like, the, the way that clones exist. It's so different here. It's weird. It's weird. The other, um, the other thing that's really funny about this, like, this book series being written before the prequel trilogy happens, um... You look like you're going to say something. Vader's hand. Besides that, besides that. Um, The really funny thing to me is that... um, So, so much of the prequels are about, like, this sort of conflict between democracy is good, but democracy cannot take action quick enough to deal with some problems. And this is the sort of, like, conflict that Anakin is feeling inside of himself. And, like, p- what pushes, like, him to, like, go along with Palpatine's plan to start the Empire. Because, like, democracy is not fast enough. And so, this book is doing the same thing <laughs> because they fought so hard to get democracy back. And then the very first thing that happens in the first piece of Star Wars uh, with democracy back is... Man, this Borsk failure guy is really fucking everything up for us. I hate democracy. <laughs> it's so funny. And also, they've all like quit their positions. Um, I guess yes. Leia hasn't, but she keeps being sent off because her thing is more about like pregnancy. And the thing about pregnancy is pregnancy is feeling your tummy kick every three minutes, and that's the only thing that happens to you. That's the oh one thing God. he does. Um, but like, they all quit their position. They're like, oh, I hate the politicians. And then they're like, oh, I'm so mad the politicians are controlling everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's ludicrous, right? Because they are literally they are they are going to take out the Sith Lord themselves. This is this is the plot of this book. Yes, it's so funny. It's so funny that like they fought so hard to get democracy back, and then as soon as they have it, they're just whining the whole time in a way that like the prequel trilogy like is about this. Um, these books are not about this. This these books, I don't think, realize that this is what's happening in in here. It's really fucking funny. Um, Borskphalia is like just such a like comically cartoonishly overdone bad guy, um, and like they undo him by be, by having him be like the hot mic. Yeah, the hot mic. Where and then the soldiers are like. We respect the troops around here, sir. I'm going to kindly ask you to go to the brig. You know? <laughs> it's so funny. 
he doesn't respect the troops enough. And he, he gets voted out of office, essentially. I mean, this is the thing that unites, like, almost every sci-fi book, right? And especially later ones. Oh, yeah. Uh, is like, regardless of the politics, like, they're all dealing with these ideas, and they all generally feel, like, fall into some kind of the liberalism spectrum. But 99.9% of them respect the fucking troops <laughs> and it comes in in such fun ways oh he got caught on the hot mic not respecting the troops that's it he's done for <laughs> <laughs> well and it's so funny because i probably just because of how old i am i think of that as such a like post 9-11 thing and like i know it's not but like i just like i don't know how old zon was but like timothy zon probably was like growing up uh, was growing up in, like, the post-Vietnam era and, like, all the protests and stuff. And so I thought that, like, respect the troops wasn't, like, such a strong sentiment until um, he was born in 1951. So, yeah, he would have been, like, at the right age where he was probably... He was... I don't know what his politics were, but, like, he would have been, like, aware of Vietnam protests um, and I'm, shit. I mean, there, there is a... Oh, you finish. His Wikipedia page is one of the barest I've ever seen for somebody as well known as Timothy Zahn. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm looking at the, um, so I mean, the, 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 what was I? The, the thing about uh, the Vietnam stuff is like there are ways to be a pro-troop Vietnam. Pro- the Vietnam, yeah, that 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 movie about the That's Vietnam true. trial, uh, what's it called? The trial of Chicago Six, uh, which actually had you know the protest there, uh turned it all into like a we were reading out the names of all the american troops who've died uh, thing and then, and then everyone claps like that movie is a canonization of the vietnam times as being about respecting the troops uh, as a uniting political force on all sides like the yes. whole movie is uh the leftists and the moderates can't agree but they can respect the troops together and everyone claps <laughs> So, like, uh, I would not be surprised if that's his view of, uh, like, the Vietnam stuff. Yeah. Is, like, it's bad because they sent all these troops to die, which is disrespectful. That all makes sense. Not it's bad <laughs> because the USA did a, basically another genocide in another country and then lost because they suck so much. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. Like, the, the, the troop respecting energy is strong. Um you know who doesn't respect the troops? Who doesn't respect the troops? Thrawn. Doesn't I feel he? Like th- I feel like Thrawn respects the troops. Thrawn is introduced oh, you know respecting no. the troops. He doesn't. He doesn't respect the troops. I remember what you were going to talk about. He doesn't respect the troops enough. What do you think I'm going to say? Because the very first scene of the book is, um, like, him... Like, Thrawn is waiting for his contacts um, to, like, get him some information about Card before he mobilizes. Um, and then you cut to, like, the troops on the ground who are like, Man, these fucking admirals, they don't know anything about anything. Make it a stand around all day. It's gonna make my soldiers, like, not, you know, not battle ready. Um, it's kind of funny. It's a very funny thing. <laughs> this book did disappoint me a little bit because it opens up on so much like Talon card shit, and then he's just not there for like half the book, and then he shows yeah. up, and there's a lot of Talon card stuff at the end. Um, but the the bit at the beginning with Talon card behind the asteroid and mm-hmm. Thrawn looking at the asteroid is the like Death Note Sasa Lele meme where like it's like oh if i say sasa lele 
he'll know that I'm Kira. <laughs> but unless he thinks I'll say that, so I should say sail, sail. And then the next panel is L saying, if he says Sansa Lele, he's definitely Kira. And then the next panel is Misa saying, are we going to fucking go inside? (laughs) It's that, but it's like, oh, what if he knows that we're actually here? He he expects us to, to do, to leave. So we need to pretend that we don't know that he's thinking about this. I would be hit totally 100% fine with the version of this trilogy that does not have the New Republic at all is just about telling Card and Theron. I would <laughs> love that version of this series. Yeah, because, I mean, here's the thing. That scene owns. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Because <laughs> I love Death Note. And guess what? I love this. Because they're like, oh, <laughs> who's going to blink first? Does he know? And then, like, Palayan's, like, whole job is to be right but not get the last bit. And Thrawn goes, you don't understand. He's there. I know he's there. I know he's there because he wouldn't, he refuse. something in him refuses to let him not watch. And, uh, you know, it's like very basic. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's not based on like, oh, I've read this art. It's like an actual character trait about a character we know, right? Like he knows yes. this character won't run because he has to watch this and has to make sure. Uh, and that's the yes. thing that like gives him away. And then the thing that saves him is the force from uh Mara Jade is like sets everything up really well it's characters we know interacting unfortunately most mm-hmm. Thrawn stuff is like interacting with just like characters off screen that he's read some art about <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't have yeah. this kind of fun death note impact to it the problem with Thrawn is that after that scene he doesn't get anything right the entire book <laughs> I felt like the last book had so much good fun Thrawn stuff and this book is just like Ah, uh, he's still here. It's kind of a bummer a little bit. Well, they booked him too strong. So he they can't... booked him too strong. Like Because when his whole thing is tactically knowing everything, you have to get some fallibility in there. So I, I like the fact that like he sees um, all of the like wookie hair in the ship. It's like, he must have been captured by the Klingons and let go deliberately and doesn't put together that, <laughs> the, um, Klingons? the Klingons are for fuck's sake. <laughs> I thought that was an intentional bit, and I just did a little chuckle, and then it's <laughs> I've got three podcasts a day, and my mind is already melting. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, he, sees, he sees the Wookiees' uh, hair like front Chewbacca, and he's like, oh, uh, he must have been captured by the Wookiees and tortured, and they must have let him go, but doesn't like put together um, the layers on, on the ship because Chewbacca's been on the ship. I think... I think this, I understand, like, Zahn being like, oh, uh, in the first book, like, Thrawn was right about everything all the time. I need to make him a little more infallible in this book. Um, but I kind of wish that Thrawn had taken one big L, like, midway through the book, rather than, like, a thousand small ones all throughout the book. Because he still, he still ultimately wins in this book. Because it's the second one, it needs to have the, the like, oh, how are they going to get the fuck out of this one, uh, like, ending. It needs to have the Empire Strikes Back ending. But, um, like, yeah, I just wish, I just wish that, like, it just makes Thrawn seem kind of dumb in this book. <laughs> that, that's He's been just making like... the wrong assumptions and the wrong leaps yes. at the end. And I don't know, like... I, th- I think, generally speaking, like it's only bad in the sense that um, we know what books are. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we, when when Thrawn makes something wrong, it is 
not because the information that is presented to him, like the conclusions he draws are obviously wrong, right? It's because we understand fiction and it feels like he's like arbitrarily getting things wrong, which he would have got right before. Because it's all made up information, right? I think right. That, I think Zahn does a decent job of showing why he comes to the conclusions he does in the book. It's just weird that it like goes the way it does for like how it establishes Thor as a threat. I think the one that works most effectively is the one where they get the Endor thing wrong. Because at least that's to do with like Thrawn's fixation on this other plan that nobody fucking knows or cares about but he's really worried they know about it yeah (laughs) well and also like that one makes sense because like he's like well they're gonna come back for the millennium falcon like i know these three people they're gonna come back for that and they just don't <laughs> they really? just forget about it and then they find it like, oh shit okay Thrawn is like there's no way they're not coming back for that I've watched the Star Wars movies they're coming back for that shit cut and to Leia don't. saying "How? okay if we skip Endor and leave the Millennium Falcon then can we get there in time okay let's go <laughs> oh the other funny part is when they're like uh well, uh, we only have, we have these two squadrons left in reserve, but they're only recon ships and bomber ships, so, so we're not gonna send them out right now. Cut to Mara Jade thinking, they probably only have recons and bombers left. <laughs> I like all that stuff. That stuff's all goofy bullshit that I like. Um, Mara Jade gets to use her backstory a lot more. I liked her a lot more in this book. Yeah. She's way less petulant. Yes. And she's, she's like, serious now. Yes. She felt pretty whiny in the first one. It's partially because of the way the audiobook chose to do yeah, her voice. Yeah, it is partially, I think, the on the narrator. But yeah, I, but, yeah. I think Mara Jade gets a much better story. I, like, I understand her a lot better. I like her interactions with Luke better. Okay, so. But that's also because, like, running through a Star Destroyer is fun. It's like a yeah, good. Yes. It's a good bit. It's a really good bit in a way that, like, escaping from a planet no one cares about. It isn't. No one cares. Like, it doesn't matter. The the action Mar- section in the last book is boring. Mara Jade is basically like a Jason Bourne in this in this book. <laughs> the idea, the idea of doing the like Death Star infiltration, but with Luke, Mara Jade, and Talon Card is so good. Yeah. Like that is just a good concept that they deliver on well. Luke doesn't have the skills that they do, but he does have magic. <laughs> <laughs> so, a couple of things. I wanted to talk about this last episode and forgot. The Delta Source is the plants, right? I kept assuming that it was winter, but then know, you reminded that's me of the these... most obvious thing in the world. Because I I assumed it was winter because, like, they keep... It is so obvious that it would be winter that it was hard to imagine it being something else. And then you were like, oh, these plants that you forgot about, Autumn. And I was like, I guess it must be those plants because it would definitely be, like, the thing that he seeds one time and it doesn't mention again. It's been mentioned, like, twice in this book and one or two times in the first one that, like, Palpatine specifically designed this antechamber... With these plants that light up when you talk next to them or touch them. Mm-hmm. And they change colors and everything. And the fact that they treat Delta Source as completely, like, infallible information tells mm-hmm. me, like, that's probably some weird force plant. Mm-hmm. Or just a normal plant that, re- like, you know, organism that records audio mm-hmm. and sends it to, to you. But just a, just a like, microphone technology we already have. 
<laughs> in a plant. It's literally a plant. <laughs> well, what? The Republic it's of like. It's a plant! <laughs> God damn it, Fuck. you're fired. <laughs> um, the Republic are like, oh, we didn't think that the Delta Source would be these, like, comical uh, flowers on the uh, clown's lapels that they keep asking us to talk into. <laughs> also, I can't tell, because this is a, a, an area of writing that Star Wars can be notoriously hazy about. Is Does Mara have trauma, or is she, like, haunted by the ghost of the Emperor? Great question. <laughs> you know I am also wondering this. You know who else is wondering that, though? Let's let's get into it, because you know who else wonders this out loud in another scene? It's Luke Ooh. Skywalker. Oh, yes, he does. Because he, he says, does do this. is Sabaoth insane, or does he have five space ghosts inside him? <laughs> <laughs> they still- Based on absolutely nothing, this man's brain is huge. It's okay. understanding so mental illness is out the window. It's so funny. After Ben Kenobi died, I could see him and talk to him. And then after Yoda and Anakin died, I saw them very briefly one time, as if in a movie. <laughs> and maybe when a Jedi dies, they can anchor themselves to someone nearby. And maybe Sabayoth has four ghosts anchored to him. It's amazing. It's so good. Based on absolutely nothing. It's so funny. It's so good. Because, I mean, no one's told him anything. He doesn't know shit about Jedi stuff. He's like, uh, I guess Force Ghosts... Like, I haven't seen other ghosts. I've only seen ghosts that are important to me. So I guess <laughs> the ghosts they have you know, must be anchored to me. And he could have all those guys. You know who's never talked to Luke Skywalker? Who? Qui-Gon Jinn. That's true. <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn has not taught Luke Skywalker how to... Then how the fuck in Rise of... This is not, that's why it's not canon. No, no, no. no. Uh, I guess Yoda would have taught it to him. What about the uh, Star Wars Legacy comics where Luke Skywalker is a walking drug PSA ghost following his his descendant Cade Skywalker. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> this is so He's far. a force ghost and he says, why do you do drugs, Cade? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's a comic. It's a little later. It comes out a little, little, little bit after 91, but okay. it's closer to like 2005-ish. Luke I Skywalker Force Ghost PSA. Of, uh, the Thrawn trilogy. They got some kind of dorky looking covers. They do. Um. But yeah, yeah. So, so the so the stuff with Mara Jade is also like in the book. It reads as it's like, oh, the dreams are coming back, right? And mm. she is. She, she's this trauma is coming back because uh, getting back to the Force means getting back to the dark side means all of the stuff she's put behind her coming back, but. They do start suggesting out loud that it could be actual real ghosts and not metaphorical ghosts. Well, and also there's the literal ghost that is Leia orbiting through the space, right? the point in yes. space where the Emperor died and feeling his, like, emotions as, like, a, a ghost field. I mean, she, like, literally starts, like, blacking out. And everyone's like, what the fuck happened to you? She's like, oh, I guess I must have orbited through the chamber why did i come to this one point of space for just a rendezvous what a stupid decision this was <laughs> <laughs> if you like that scene you're gonna love the next trilogy re we read on this oh, podcast okay. because then we get uh xr khan 
who uh, invented the double-bladed lightsaber. Nobody had ever done it before him. <laughs> this was written before Phantom Menace, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, what else? What else? What else? Because there was another thing I was going to say about Mara Jade. Um, is it about the romance? It, the romance is really funny because, like, on the one hand, so... From Mara Jade, like, thinking about Mara Jade's character, this book is really interesting as she starts to, like, wonder, like, I have this deep commitment to my past as the Emperor's hand, but I don't have a place in the Empire, and when I need help, I go to Luke Skywalker. What does that say about me? Um, blah, 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 blah. That's all really interesting. On the flip side, you get Luke, who's just like, yeah, sure, I'll help you, Mara Jade. And that's like, you could just be like, oh, he's a Jedi. He's going to just help someone when they ask him for help. And then at the end of the book, he's like, man, I hope Mara Jade doesn't die. That would be really sad if Mara Jade died. Why would I be so sad if Mara Jade died? I don't, like, I like her, and I have a Jedi commitment to uh, saving lives, but why would I be so sad if specifically Mara Jade died? And it just makes Luke sound horny as fuck. He's just, he's just got a boner. There's literally no, there's no other explanation than he's horny and because he started Star Wars when he was like a sheltered 19-year-old on a farm, hasn't had a boner before. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, not with someone who's not his sister. I mean, yeah, yes, because in, in, in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, there's like moments, but since he's become like a Jedi Jedi, he's he's just not, he's not been horny. He's successfully lived I mean, the no-fat life. I mean, he's like, when, is, when, is, when does this book take place? Five years after. So uh, he's on his fifth year of no-fat with his Jedi training. Well, it, let's say seven years, because seven years is after uh, Empire. Seven years after Empire. Mm. So. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's, he's doing, he's been training mm-hmm. for a while. Can I can I be like a little more cringe fandom person than we usually are? Of as, course, like, people. Um, I did read this book and start to become a Luke Lando shipper. Um, every <laughs> yeah, you know I Luke- see it. I see it. <laughs> every time Luke is sitting around drinking hot chocolate, thinking about how cool Lando is, I'm like, that's right. <laughs> But it is also like a child's version. This is like, Lando's so cool. He taught me about hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Lando gave me chucky milk. <laughs> I've never had this before. I've only had blue milk. <laughs> the, the, uh, it's so funny the ways in which sometimes Luke Skywalker is like the cool Jedi guy. Like at, at the very end of this book where he's just like, uh, Han, Lando, you go. I'm just gonna chop up all these soldiers with my lightsaber because I'm the Jedi. And, like, I'm just gonna do this. Um, like, he gets that, and he also just sometimes sounds like a ten-year-old who's like, oh, I just love my hot chocolate. <laughs> you know who... Unsung hero in this book. Like Skywalker? You remember that time R2 shot a dark Jedi with a, <laughs> with a spaceship? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> I mean, he, okay, so Sabayoth has all this grand dark power, but he forgot his one weakness. He's old as shit and he fell over. <laughs> <laughs> 
all of the Savoyard stuff is like hilarious on a whole other level because oh. it's meant to be an echo of the Yoda shit. Like he's gone to this, yes. this train and he did. He's, he's like he doesn't know anything about anything. You know, like he had like twenty minutes with Yoda one weekend. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not like he knows the Jedi uh, way. So I- Actually, the the time distortion due to the versions on on Dagobah, he was there for a couple months, even though he was only there for a couple weeks. Oh, a couple days. yeah. <laughs> well, regardless, whatever. Thanks. Thanks. Like, that, that's why this podcast is yours, Nora. <laughs> um, but he lands, and it's not like because because um, Sabath earlier is like. This is going to be his subtlest challenge yet. He must manipulate Luke without even letting him realize he's being manipulated. He would. He was up to the challenge. Luke lands. Sabath is like, "It's time to take over the world, and you shall rule beside me as Jedi are born to do." And then Luke's like, it's a "Bit sus, I guess. Maybe Jedi are just like this." And it's just like crashing my head down to the desk. It's so funny. I mean, Yoda specifically said. The force, the Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. And this guy just used lightning the way that Palpatine did. But I'm gonna hear him out. <laughs> well, and not just I'm gonna hear him out, but I feel really bad for this guy. I'm gonna just start being his nurse. Because <laughs> he's this guy like, just needs a friend. Because he's probably just gone mad from all the space ghosts that must be inside him logically. And even <laughs> asking you guys, what the fuck are you talking about, Jesse? <laughs> He's got all those space ghosts. You know, Leia's got kids inside her. Maybe they could connect over that, having, like, people inside you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Sarah. You were saying? (laughs) I do really like, um... I do really like... Because uh, I was listening to the A More Civilized Age episode about um, uh, about Revenge of the Sith this week. And, like, in that, um, Rob makes a joke about how, you know, it's like, we have space travel, but apparently no one can tell her that she's got twins and, like, the genders of the twins. Um, so I do really like imagining that in the, like... 30 years between um, the prequel trilogy and this trilogy, they've invented that technology so that they can know that Leia has twins on the way. I just had a moment. I had to double check the Iblis page. Mm -hmm. He does not appear in Clone Wars, unfortunately. Good. I just thought maybe. There's There's not an episode about kid Han Solo seeing Santa Bell Iblis in the Clone Wars at school. I'd make that episode. I would have I would have imagined that a, like Senator Bell Iblis would just like be a, a pull for Clone Wars. You know? I really like all, all the stuff. I really like all the EU stuff that um, Clone Wars and Rebels like pulled in. Clone Wars specifically, like Clone Wars pulls in some EU stuff that then Disney has to make canon because this, like... this is why we have Bane, but not yes. Revan. Yes, because they didn't go with putting. Uh, they should have put Darth Revan in Clone Wars. I don't even like the. I don't even like Kotor like that. But they should have put Revan in Clone Wars. <laughs> you uh, know what is technically canon? Hmm. Honiger. Oh, it does exist in New Canon. Weird on a map. So the Nogri do exist. Cool. 
I'm just looking up some stuff on the wiki here. I just searched what year was Han Solo born. He was born in 32 BBY, which you may realize as the uh, uh, year of the Phantom Menace happening. So he's born at the same time Star Wars starts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I knew it. Cause a couple episodes ago, I feel like we were talking about like the, um, the uh, problematic age gap between. Yeah, um, it was like a year or two ago. This yeah, we talked at some point it's about the like it's like one year more than the Raylo age gap. Yeah, because between Han and Leia, because Kylo is thirty one, Ray is nineteen. Uh, oh my god! Wait, Kylo's thirty one? Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> How the hell did that happen? Bruh. <laughs> and Han Solo is thirty two, and Leia is nineteen. Bruh. <laughs> We've had this revelation on the I export. know, but still. <laughs> uh, yeah. It really does just make him the worst person ever in Empire Strikes Back. Because he's just negging her constantly. <laughs> Bro, she just got old enough to drink. <laughs> um. Oh, oh, good. Uh. It was just looking at the Nogri planet, and the the wiki says that it was part of the Rakatan Infinite Empire around 30,000 BBY. So, well, thank God. Yeah. Han Solo is 11 during the Clone Wars. They, this Belly Bliss meeting could happen in Clone Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be... They should have done it. They were they, cowards not to. <laughs> they pull in, like, child Boba Fett for so much of the Clone Wars. They should have pulled in child Han Solo for a one-shot. Child Boba Chub- Fett is like... He, like, has a whole arc. He's got, like, he gets a lot of stuff. He gets a lot of stuff. Because they wanted to push the Bounty Hunter faction, like, as yes. a faction in Star Wars, which I've never really liked. Mm-hmm. Because um, they're like, oh, they have a code, and they have, like... A culture around bounty hunting. Like, I have also always found this profoundly stupid. <laughs> you can just have scoundrels. You yeah. can have crime guys. Yes. Bounty hunters specifically are only like conceived of as a group because we saw a shot of six or seven of them in Empire. Yes. That's and my they didn't like, work together either. Yeah. When the bounty hunter stuff starts in Clone Wars, I remember like thinking, "Why this isn't Star Wars? Who cares? Like, why, why are bounty hunters this crucial part of Star Wars?" Then I remember, like, I guess, like Han Solo. Like, this comes from Han Solo. Me realizing, like, oh, I hate Han Solo. I think he's not a really important part of Star Wars. Therefore, I've never considered bounty hunters to matter in any way. <laughs> um, it's very strange my perception of like what I think is important to Star Wars compared to what nerds do. Star Wars is about like. The good guys, the bad guys, and then the criminal element, um, at least in, like, the 2010s and 2020s, like, that is, like, what Star Wars is to a lot of people, and I can see, I can see, I guess, how they get it from the original movies. It's not there in the prequels, but it's really there in these three books. It's kind of there in the prequels, in Attack of the Clones. I guess in Attack of the Clones, yeah. Because... Okay, so New Gunray says, Hey, Sidious, I want you to kill Padme Amidala. And then Sidious says, Hey, Dooku, I want you to kill We're, Padme Amidala. Everyone's seen this meme and, and had it described on this podcast <laughs> at least five times. 
<laughs> Everyone always forgets that it started at Newt Gunray. That's all. <laughs> I also forgot it was uh, it started with. I thought it started with Palpatine. I forgot it was with Newt Gunray. But th- that's the, bringing a Gunray is an important point. I guess I would assume bounty hunters to be on the same importance of like the other like Clone Warsy factions, right? Like there are a lot right. of th- there are a lot of elements in Star Wars that they can pull in, but like it's not like the banking clan matter beyond a few episodes, right? Well, and. It- I think one of the things that was most frustrating about this book, which once again, I really liked, we've been complaining about it a lot. I like this book a lot. One of the most frustrating things is the sort of like, the book starts with the characters you know and like, and then just is suddenly like, oh, here's, here's Niles Ferrier. Here's Belle Iblis. Here's like six other characters that you don't fucking care about. How do you feel about Aves? I don't care. <laughs> um... So, yes. Do you? We didn't talk about how Luke Skywalker can smell the darkness. He's like Riku. He's just like Riku. <laughs> He's just like Riku. They, they haven't brought that up with Riku in two decades for some reason. God knows why. It was an important oh, part of his character. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go to the restroom. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're doing a podcast over here. <laughs> <laughs> We might finish the podcast without you. That's fine. I have to go, sorry. <laughs> we might finish the podcast without me. i got to record another one in half an hour, so we should probably do some questions at some point. Yeah, questions. The thing that I asked for with plenty of time. Did anyone give it? If, any, if no one gave any, I guess that's fine. We do have two emails, Okay. Looks like. Um, number one. Two questions. Who needs Jedi when you could have R2? No one. Well, clearly. <laughs> Luke is useless. Luke, you, yeah. Luke is useless. Luke is useless. <laughs> I do like the the scene of Luke in the corridor deflecting shots while everyone else gets behind cover and shoots the troopers. And then the scene where Leia holds the lightsaber in front of her with the force mm-hmm. as like... Cool Jedi stuff. Cool, cool Jedi stuff. Uh, also, I just realized this, but did they really just put evil Han Solo with a Predator Chewie in this book? Kinda. Oh, yeah. Niles, Niles Ferrier is, um, is evil Han Solo. And he, so he has a wraith, which is like, um, uh, a furry alien that can warp light around it. I thought yeah. they were called something else. It, the thing about... Th- the problem with Niles Ferrier is that he's called Niles, so I just see Niles from Frasier every time. Yeah. And like, it's just like, oh, that bit, that, that Niles, they're hunting me. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I can't take him seriously. If you remember the wolfman from the cantina, that's not a Shistavanan. That's a devil known as Wraiths. Uh, barely visible beings native, native to the Outer Rim who appeared to most other species as shadows. They just okay. warp light. I don't know. Fair, fair enough. They're like the um, yeah. creatures from Attack the Block, I guess. I guess so. I I do want to bring up um, the stuff of Sabaoth and like the way the Jedi stuff is is very funny here because like Sabaoth is like evil shit all the time. Like all he's doing is evil stuff, like nonstop. And Luke's like, mm-hmm. uh, but then every time he has to explain himself, uh, Sabaoth's explanations are all just like true. <laughs> Everything he says is a genuine like uh critique of 
the, the like assumed facts about Jedi, right? Because like Luke is all, um, well, we must always come to compromise, and you know, blah blah blah. And then he like shoots that guy and says he was in the wrong. I'm not going to fucking force a compromise when one person did something wrong. That's the job of being a leader. You do what's right, not to arbitrarily uh, make centrism happen. And like, and he's right, except he's also evil. <laughs> no- except he's also like, also, everyone is jealous of our superpowers and they want to kill us. Right. There's no like, it's not like the way in which he's right makes him evil. These are two separate facts about him <laughs> he is correct when he is saying these things out loud but when he is doing anything he is the evil guy who wants all the power in this universe <laughs> it's a completely different take on like how palpatine's like power obsession <laughs> manifests yeah our other email comes in from neve who says i haven't read this book since i was in middle school and i don't remember much so i'm wondering does zon seem to understand that han solo is a cat boy like, does he accurately write Han as a cat boy in this? No. What are you talking about? Han is a dog. I've always considered Han, Han to be like. What are a you dog. talking about? <laughs> He's just kind of dopey and running around and doing stuff. I cannot. Like a dog. Sanction a course of action that will lead me to being horny for Han Solo in any form. I don't understand any kind of, uh, like, uh, furry angle on Han Solo in any direction. I think he's a dog. I'm putting that on the record. I understand the logic, but I, I just, I just, I just cannot go here. Uh, also, were there any new characters who seem to be cat boys? I don't think so. I mean, Felia. Fel- hmm. Are the Bothans cat boys? Bothans. So here's the thing. I was reading it as like Fey Liar. And that's mm. how I've read it the whole oh, time. Oh, okay. Like a Fey Liar. Um, I guess that's also bad, but your audio bit was saying failure every time. And then yes. Commander Failure came up and said, maybe we should do this. And everyone said, no, not now. You're Commander Failure. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized what you... <laughs> like failure. Yeah, like his name is Failure. Okay. Mr. Failure. That doesn't track because of the way that we say the word failure, but I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Bothans are more canine. I'm sending you an image. I always read it as like more liony. Oh, um, I guess so. But now that you say that, I guess I see it. Um, oh, this one's regardless. particularly yeah. yeah I, I see. I can see both ways, but I, I tend to go lion and. Mm-hmm. It's just like that. Those those Pokemon, the three the, legendary dogs. The way they talk about Bothans in this book is ridiculous. They're all fucking cowards who uh, like to manipulate people and get power uh, through their words. I'm like, what? Whoa! You see, they're natural predators. It's just that they evolved out of pouncing with claws and into pouncing with words. What? Just the weird race science stuff is so hilarious. Like, what are you doing? Why? Why is this how everything works in Star Wars? Or also, why have you made the like scary, like you know, uh, race of um, predators that doesn't look like the nice white people of Star Wars? Right? Like, oh, this guy's the bad guy coming in here at the in in this trilogy. Uh, it's just peak. Uh, Star Wars has not thought about what it's doing. Bullshit. Yeah. 
Um, I believe that's that is it for questions. That's a podcast. We did it. We did it. Um, Jackson, if people want to get on your tail and lock on online, <laughs> lock on online. Yeah, you can find yeah. me at Headfuls Off on Twitter.com. Uh, I do podcasts with M at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, go listen to a bunch of them. They're good. I'm recording a whole lot today. We're doing Metro Prime uh for for july it's gonna be good metro prime 2 uh you can support us at patreon.com slash abnormal mapping where you can get the gun the great gundam project for one dollar a month autumn you can find me on twitter at autumnal underscore coffee uh all my other podcasts at exportodd.io. you should listen to uh ornate stairwells a movie podcast or gotham city limits a batman podcast i feel like a lot of people, a non-zero number of people listening will think they edited Autumn in right there because Autumn left the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to, to make it clear for everyone that that's not what happened. Suddenly Autumn was back. It was seamless. <laughs> it was seamless for you. For me, it was like trying to shove Nora out of the way and like put my headphones in and uh, I could, I probably there's you... a little scraping sound of headphones against the desk. So I could have just had you do your plugs without hearing Jackson. Huh? And that would have just worked. Yeah. yeah. Um, find me on Twitter at neither Nora stuff. I do at Nora Blake online. If you're listening to this, when it comes out, you have 48 hours. Is that right? You have 48 hours to send in questions about, which one did we pick? Godzilla? Yes. Godzilla Raids Again? Okay. Is that what we're, we're not doing King Kong? Uh, let's do Godzilla Raids Again. You have 48 hours, <laughs> as we've just decided, uh, to send in emails to exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com about Godzilla Raids Again. That is for Godzilla's Not Dead, our patron-exclusive podcast. $5 a month. $5 a month gets you the... I guess you might call it a Godzilla project yeah. of considerable size. <laughs> uh, you can send us uh, not just questions about that movie, but all questions about the first movie, general Godzilla questions. Uh, Recommendations for things in this space that we would otherwise have missed, I guess. Yeah. Um, hmm. uh, yeah. Don't spoil shit. Don't spoil shit. I mean... You can't really spoil me on shit except that new anime. We should watch that anime we should for try that anime. episode. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, you can also, if you're a patron, uh, come, what, a week and a half on August 3rd, same day that the new Apex Legends season starts, uh, you will start getting access to Back to the Ark, which is a Marvel Hornets podcast by me and Olivia. Oh, yeah. It's for patrons. It's very fast. Very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> and um, listen to my other stuff. I have a Mega Man podcast. I have a uh, Yu-Gi-Oh podcast. Etc. It's all good stuff. Uh, that's the podcast. That's the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Until next time, kill the Jedi in your head. <laughs> <laughs> all, all five of them. <laughs> all as the case may be <laughs> yeah kill 1d6 jedi in your head <laughs> that is a podcast <laughs>